All right, Mama Mia, here we go again. Welcome back to the old switcheroo where we're talking gaming retro with Mike and JMO. I'm Mike. And I'm JMO. Um, thank you for joining us on our quest to meanderthal our way through all 200 plus games in the Nintendo Switch online catalog. Today we are joined by a very special guest, um, our old high school classmate and friend Ryan, um, also known as Warboss on YouTube and Twitch. How you doing, Ryan? I'm doing quite well. Warboss five, incidentally, got to got to get oh. that number on the end. Uh, it's, it's. I was actually looking at that, and my brain just makes it Warboss. <laughs> I I literally participated in some other random YouTubers thing a while back, and that exact thing happened multiple times during the video. I was just Warboss for the entire video. <laughs> Um, and so you um, have actually quite a catalog of content on YouTube and Twitch. I was kind of poking through it before we started recording. Uh, and we actually have a lot of games in common. My wife and I are currently playing through Pokemon Scarlet and Violet right now. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, no, I'm loving it. You don't you're not liking it. You didn't like it. No, no, no. I actually really enjoyed it. But just it was such an absolute nonsense show when it came out with the glitches and the yeah. I don't even know if they've ended up fixing it because it's been so long since I played it uh, but just like the stuttering the the pop-in it, it was it the the game engine is just bad and needs to right. be like from scratch <laughs> um Mike have you seen this you know what we're referring to uh I do not it's so the the newest Pokemon game is probably the most ambitious title the series has ever had because it's like the first game that's actually an open world and doesn't feel like it was designed for the DS. And you can like jump in and explore with your friends. And the Switch just absolutely cannot meet the hardware requirements of what this game tried to pull off. So there's really terrible pop up and bugginess. That must have been tough to stream, Ryan. So, but do you think it made like your content more enjoyable because you were able to laugh at it, or did it really just suck the joy out? out of it oh no 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 don't get me wrong i had an absolute blast playing it um it actually it actually caused the most some some catastrophic issues yeah because when i started streaming it and i didn't realize this is what was happening um until like one like i think it's like the second or third episode which are on my youtube channel i realized that the uh capture card i was running through my computer and the game or and the um OBS were both running through my graphics card and overloading loading my graphics card, which is oh, no. causing more problems. You can see like smoke rising up. Oh, it was, it was terrible. But once I switched the capture card over to using my processor and let sure. OBS or, or the other way around, either way, once I switched, so they're only using one of the available resources each, it got way better. In you know, I can tell you're, you're a better content creator than I am because you use like five <laughs> acronyms. I have no idea what they mean. But gosh darn if it didn't sound uh, sound impressive. Uh, I work in tech support for a reason. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, oh, do you work in tech support? I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. 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 I've what, been in what context? For, uh, I've been doing like phone tech support for like five or six years now. Although, oh, although you know, fingers crossed, I'm supposed to start getting some mentoring and training to help move up in the world at my current uh, employer. Uh, which I will say is in the entertainment industry and no more. <laughs> oh, very cool. Well, okay. So I think we have a listener or two. So send good vibes to Ryan's way, you guys. I also want to just comment really quickly because um, Mike and I were having a good laugh at this. We, we, 
I knew of you. Um, I think we might have shared a class at Saugus. Were you in that weird printing elective that was sort of like in a big garage with those printing presses? No, I've, I heard about that one, but okay. I was I was terribly boring in high school. Oh, stop. I, I really was very much. I had senioritis from day one of freshman year. <laughs> I, wanted, I wanted the fuck. I'm sorry. I wanted the flip <laughs> out of high school. Sorry. Yeah. And honestly, it, it's funny. I look back now and I think that the only thing I can remember from high school that I wish had been different is I wish I'd been in theater because uh, I was a theater kid. I just didn't know it. Right. Yeah. And I can see that just with like the way you can express yourself and like your confidence in a room. It's it's pretty cool. So I was really happy to run into you at the high school reunion because, you know, there wasn't really a whole lot of people that I really, you know, finally remembered. But then, you know, we kind of hit it off talking about retro games. And so Mike and I, you know, gave you the business card and talked about this podcast. And we had just recorded our Shining Force episode. And we really liked those games. And we had asked you, you know, oh, what kind of retro games, you know, do you ever play? And you're like, oh, we have, you know, Shining Force. And I was like, I've never heard anyone else ever even know of that series. And so for that to be the one that you pulled out, it's like, if we had just met you a week earlier, we totally would have had you on that episode. I literally cannot overstate the impact that the Shining Force series had on my childhood. It was so good, right? So good. Yeah. And like and like tragic in places and actually had like emotional depth to it in points. And um, and, you know, my spatial relation abilities would not be anywhere near what they were if I didn't have to hold the entirety of Shining in the Darkness's map in my head. <laughs> wow. OK, so you actually went through the whole series. You started before it was even Shining Force. I don't I never finished Shining in the Darkness. I, okay. I remember I got. Like like five or six levels into the dungeon, I want to say, but I never finished it. Shining Force one and two, those I finished. Those I those I got all the way through. And and we sort of kind of came to the conclusion that Shining Force was better than Shining Force two, right, Mike? Wasn't that what your kind of impression as well, if I remember correctly? Yeah, I th I think Shining Force two brought in a lot of quality of life improvements, but yeah. wasn't as good of a core story and game. Mm. So Ryan, is that also your take? It has been so long since I played. Sure. Yeah. I do remember I remember the one thing I liked about Shining Force 2 over Shining Force 1 was that it was a contiguous world as yeah. opposed to being in discrete chapters. And I felt like Shining Force 2 uh was a little bit more I don't want to use the word handholdy, but yeah. Like, like, perfect example, in Shining Force 1, you can just never get gonk. You can just go, oh, that's a nice little uh, house there on the corner of the map. Wonder how you get to it and never touch it. Right. And just completely miss one of, you know, one of the, and it's not important. He's not an important character, but he gets, as I remember, he gets pretty powerful towards the end of the game. So, yeah, I, I think you're right. It definitely would let you make mistakes a lot more. Yeah. Um. Well, so anyway, speaking of mistakes, should we get started on our episode, guys? <laughs> Let's go for it. Yeah, I, quick question before we get to it. Um, what, what's your opinion on the uh, songs, you know, like, uh, oh, I don't know, Mamma Mia or Dancing Queen, Waterloo. You guys like those songs, right? Oh, sure. Abba's, Abba's good. I like Abba. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, bud. Abba dudes is what we're calling this episode. Um <laughs> We are talking about four caveman games. Oh. <laughs> Joe and Mac, Congo's Caper, 
showing Mac 2 lost in the tropics and prehistoric man. Mike, what do you think of my title, buddy? My Abadude? <laughs> I find it... I guess it's it's not surprising that What's, the what's same not surprising? connection shows up. So when I started trying to figure out how Joe and Mac worked and ended up with a, a manual, I ended up with apparently the NES manual mislabeled. Oh. Which I didn't know was... Was it a, mislabeled as a Flintstones game? No, but it... It's a lot. It's a much more fun manual. Okay. You might enjoy enjoy it. It's like someone just discovered that alliteration was a thing. Oh. <laughs> but one of the things that is mentioned in there, in sort of like the background, and it's different between the NES game and the SNES game for reasons that I don't know. Um, the NES game actually mentions Bronto Burgers, which stood out to me because that is a also a term used in the Flintstones. Right. And they are, Hanna-Barbera is very protective of their IP. So, I'm surprised. <laughs> oh, Maybe that's why it didn't continue into the SNES, because I never saw Bronto Burgers mentioned right. in the SNES. And that might explain my title. It might not. I can't, uh, <laughs> I can't comment. But uh, let's, uh, let's get started with our first game we're discussing today, which is Joe and Mac on the SNES, released in 1991. We'll start with the official description on the Nintendo Switch online catalog. It says, can cave dudes Joe and Mac rescue the lost cave dudettes? In this action game released for the Super NES console in 1991, life was pretty cool for our boys Joe and Mac until a bunch of Neanderthal nerds crashed their village and scared off all the cave ladies. Now they're out in the wild, lost and alone, and it's up to Joe and Mac to go save them. The dudes will have to jump, dash, and use roll attacks to get past the Stone Age obstacles in their way. But along the way, they'll be get access to multiple weapons that you can switch between using the select button. You hear that, Ryan? Um, just make sure to pick the best weapon for the situation, and the boys are sure to make it through. Any takeaways from those descriptions, guys? You can roll. <laughs> That's you right. Can dash. And so we, we will get to that, but there's multiple like features that I think would have been probably printed on the side of the arcade cabinet. You guys remember arcade cabinets would have like little oh, yeah. tips, and and without that, there's a lot of things you can do in this game that, like you, Ryan, the rolling attack, the dash attack. I didn't discover you could run until I had moved on to another game in today's episode. Mike, did the booklet help out with these controls that the description mentions, but that was lost on us? Um, some of them. So like the select thing was discussed in there, which was eye-opening because I didn't realize the NES did not have nearly as many controls. And I read the wrong manual. Mm. Oh, NES as in you read the 8-bit version uh, did, uh, booklet. Yeah. And so that one actually... Like, it has a bunch of alliteration, and it has, like, prehistoric facts. They've just kind of scattered in there and all kinds of stuff. Did you get the sense they were, like, legitimate, accurate facts? Yeah, I think they I think they all actually do check out, which is surprising. somewhat surprising. Because then when you get yeah. to the, the game itself, like, like the, the, the phrase ne Neanderthal nerds, which falls in that category of alliteration and is the, the only bit that seemed to make, make it over to the SNES version mm -hmm. does have me wondering, like, 
are these Neanderthals that also happen to be nerds, or are we calling all Neanderthals nerds, which leads to questions of if Joe and Mac are in fact like an earlier stage of human evolution? <laughs> you always go so deep into the lore. I was all I could think when I heard Neanderthal nerds is I'm like, oh good, we're using nerds as just a blanket pejorative. Fantastic. Right. And it's funny, Ryan, because, you know, this is back in when this game was made, I would say, I mean, wouldn't you say that gaming has become so much more mainstream that if you are a gamer, you are no longer seen as a nerd. It's like a separate thing. But back when this yeah, game was yeah. made, if you were playing this game, you were probably a nerd. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. No, but this, I mean, this is, you said it's 91. So this is not yeah. really far away from the era when the response to nerds was a gigantic, hairy, caveman looking jock yelling, were you guys bullied though for that i mean i was bullied for being sort of soft and kind of tattletale mike and i <laughs> hey mike oh i can't believe i'm gonna put this in a recording do you remember the first try. activity <laughs> you remember what we used to do during our lunch and brunch breaks in kindergarten we would patrol the playground and look for people breaking rules to then go run to the yard duties and tell on them. We were like, oh my we like, god, we, you were that little Monty Burns looking kid from oh recess. Oh my god, we were, we so were. But you know what? Though <laughs> we live in a society, okay. Yep. Order versus <laughs> chaos. I don't regret it in the slightest. Speaking of chaos, let's. Uh, can we talk about this arcade flyer? I think it's so much fun. Uh, what do you guys, what are your first thoughts when I show you this flyer for the Joe and Mac arcade game uh, from Japan? Yeah, no, that's a 90s <laughs> advertisement, all right. That's, it, it's weird because it doesn't really feel like it has a focal point as such. Yeah. So for those that aren't watching on YouTube, it is um, Joe swinging on a vine towards the center of the image holding one of the cave babes uh, and Mac is down in the water below, I guess, jealous that he is not the one with his arm wrapped around the honey. And there's like, you know, dinosaurs attacking from all sides of the image. Um, there's even one of the cave Neanderthal nerds flying a little uh, flying helicopter vehicle. I just, I don't know. I think, I think it's fun. It's really stylized, very colorful. You see all these different enemies and boss types. And uh, this stinger in the center that's written in kanji. Brian, you don't read kanji, right? I do not know. Okay. Get a load of this. It says, who can have girls kiss reward? Fight, caveman ninja. <laughs> so it's the same thing that's in English below it. Uh, yep. Wow, that's impressive. <laughs> I didn't notice that. <laughs> What, I, oh what I'm god. loving looking at this. I worked to translate that. Oh my god! <laughs> what I Sorry, love about this absolute in. monstrosity is the fact that a they're spoiling like the first three bosses because they're just scattered around the thing. But more than that, it's the positively Liefeldian proportions on Joe. Like yeah. his bicep is the size of the girl's head. His head is the size of the entire upper half of her body. He's got one foot. That looks like it's again the size of half of her body, but then another foot that looks almost like it matches hers. It's just it nice. is it's all over the place with like, this this artwork. I feel like the foot's supposed to feel closer, but like yeah, her body versus his head, like his head yeah. is further away. Like that does not yeah, no, it's those proportions <laughs> are something. 
But Ryan gets bonus points for turning Liefeld into an adjective. That was amazing. Oh yeah, um, no, this is this is over buff Captain America in you know in all but in all but actual image. Well, so can I posit though that this is still better than the North American box art, which I'm showing you now? Oh God, I hate this so much. That um, is, mm. isn't it awful? This reminds me. Oh, oh, so Caveman Ninja was the original name Correct. of the art. Okay. Yes, I should have mentioned uh, that. Yes, when it was released in Japan, it was called Caveman Ninja. The Joe and Mac thing was uh, eventually a subtitle for the series, but it was uh, the, the the change of title when it was okay. over here. Yeah. Interesting. But yeah, I was going to say, this sort of reminds me of an instance of a focus group that we were both in that involved a movie poster being shown that felt like you'd given someone half an hour in Photoshop. <laughs> the surfing movie? Um, I wasn't going to get into specifics, but yes. Oh, well, I mean, there's been multiple surfing movies, so we should probably just stop there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this is, uh, for those who aren't on YouTube, the North American box art. You have this big kind of clip art looking Tyrannosaurus Rex in the center of the image. And then you have two cavemen who you guys agree with me. That's not Joe and Mac. They, they don't look like our no, character. Not even slightly. I would agree. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're wearing the little, you know, um, leaf diaper or whatever you want to call that. But it just looks like totally different people. And then in the bottom left corner, you have the Joe and Mac logo, but it's like, it's like when my students are being lazy on Google slides and they don't go to make a transparent background image. So they post a picture on Google slides with this weird black box around it. That's totally interrupting the flow. Uh, it, it almost, would you guys agree too? It looks like the T-Rex is even annoyed at the layout of this image. <laughs> kind of. If you, if you look at the dinosaur's eye line, yes, it is okay. going to the logo. Yes. Like getting in the way, not yes. actually two things falling at it. Right. And then also, like, there's no, they're kind of in a jungle, but it's all like weirdly psychedelic smeared. And they're all like that the motion, there's a motion blur effect. The only thing I like about this image is the description pre hysterical two player fun. That's that. I like that. Does it feel I mean, like they're attacking Reptar? Yes. Reptar yes. It looks yes. like Reptar. Absolutely. Oh, man, though. Man, I, I, Reptar on ice. <laughs> Dinosaur. Come on, anybody? <laughs> Ryan. I have Another vague movie. memories, but I could not sing it for the life of me. <laughs> <laughs> I probably know every word to Reptar on ice. Well, and, and and what we're looking at here too, what what the very first thing my brain went is this is not a T-Rex. Because a T-Rex, you know, is 15, 20 feet tall. This thing's like sure. 80 feet tall based on the size of its eye in relation to right. Joe and Mac. Yes. Like yes, this is Godzilla. Could, yeah, no, this is huge. They could climb up that thing's nostril. <laughs> right. Unless it's some weird abomination where, like, right off the frame, it's, like, got a tiny little body or something. I would not put it past the artist of this uh, cover. Well, can I give you guys some trivia on uh, Joe and Mac? Sure. No. So, it was, okay, Mike, so you plug your ears for a minute. Ryan wants it. Um, <laughs> this was uh, published by Data East. And it was directed by uh, Makoto Kikuchi. And he worked on a couple of other interesting titles. There was this forgotten Marvel fighting game called Avengers in Galactic Storm, which I thought was kind of cool because it's like this Marvel fighting game, but it kind of has Mortal Kombat style 
sort of like photographic um, character designs. And you know this is from the 90s because they're using Thunderstrike instead of Thor. Heck yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and that was, wasn't that his code name for a minute? I, can I, never I thought that was comic remember. accurate. I can't remember if yeah. Thunderstrike was a different guy. Okay, but with, the, with Mjolnir. They just happened to have Mjolnir, yeah. Um, it's not nearly, though, as obscure and weird as the other game I saw found he worked on called Diet Go-Go, a 1992 arcade game in which you and a friend throw food into the mouths of enemies until they are plump enough to be defeated. And between every level, the game literally fat shames whichever player accidentally picked up more junk food in the previous stage. <laughs> like oh, it. man. Like, uh, I, I feel like a lot of my students think that, like, you know, they live in a pretty insensitive time and they do. But like there was a certain um, glorious callousness to the 90s that I don't think should ever come back. But it is kind oh, of yeah. a marvel to look upon. Yeah, it's definitely. Fascinating. Was that, <laughs> you're you're going to play Diet Go-Go, Mike? I'm just intrigued. It's just. It's it's a very unique image and premise i do actually find it interesting though i didn't know so just this now but looking at the screenshot of it the little what do you call it slot wheel at the top of the screen we're gonna see that again in one of our other games so i guess oh, that was yeah. a thing that i also thought it's a bit interesting in the is i'm guessing this is a cut scene on the right where we've got yeah that's between levels it shows whichever player you know gained more weight okay in a very flattering cutscene. so okay the player that is like sitting cross-legged and eating is eating like meat off of a bone, which is the same style of meat yeah. off of a bone that is a pickup for health. That was a Music. big thing. Have you guys ever eaten meat off a bone like that? I mean, I've had like, you know, I've had like ribs, but I've never had like the roast with the bone sticking out of both sides. Is that real? I've had a turkey leg at fair, but no, That's it's not as close. Did you ever find it in like a trash can that you kicked over? Because <laughs> that happens a lot in video no, games. No, thankfully. <laughs> so the game, Joe and Mac, it went through a lot of different changes as it was ported from the arcade to the PC and then the Genesis, NES, SNES. First of all, when the game was localized for the North American release, the intro cutscene was changed to remove the scene in which the antagonists drag cave women out of their homes by their hair. Uh, the stateside developers at Data East didn't want kids to think that that was okay. This is according to a 2018 Entertainment Weekly article on the subject of translating games for domestic markets. Uh, the SNES version we have on Nintendo Switch Online, it mentioned that, as uh, Ryan was saying, the Neanderthal nerds scared away the women with their bad breath. But what's weird about that is that the cutscene wasn't actually changed. It's just cut short. So what you see in the version that is on Nintendo Switch Online is, is arguably more disturbing. You see the villains enter the hut, you hear the women scream, and then it just fades to black. <laughs> like, oh, God. Right? That's like, so much worse. Is, it's barbaric, but at least you can like see that they're, like I guess, still alive. Pretty, pretty disturbing image. Mike, any thoughts on this cutscene? Uh, do you mean the cut cutscene or the regular cutscene? Whatever you got to say, I'm sorry. I shouldn't put you on the spot when it's this weird of a topic. <laughs> yeah, because I, I'm, I am sort of surprised they didn't include that. Because number one, it's meant to be the villains. Sure. Number two, there's some questionable junk in later games 
So there's an element of like, well, we, we didn't want to have anything that we didn't want like lessons to be coming from. And it's like, then I question your later decisions. Sure. I mean, yeah, you say they're the villains, but also like, I think it's sort of intended to be comical, but it's pretty horrific. Uh, but the other important thing to note is that by removing the opening cutscene or cutting it short, I should say, you also remove the introduction of the fat slash ugly cavewoman character. And that is not my choice of words. That is Mike. don't make a video where you just cut that part out. That's where it ends. Um, that's how this character is referred to by Joe and Mac fans on the internet. But she never comes up again until the credit sequence at the end of the game, where it shows the titular characters being chased by a horde of cave women that they rescued throughout the game, uh, including the larger woman you see here. But in a prank on sound creator Atomic Hanada, if you hold the L, R, X, and A buttons when his name comes up in the credits, you can turn all the cave women into the plus sized versions. Uh, and this is a shout out to VG Facts contributor Med deleting later for this screenshot and this hot tip. So, like oh. I said, the '90s was pretty crazy callous when it came to this sort of thing. Ryan, you give a huh? What are you thinking, buddy? No, it's just I just I like uh, you know obvious problematic bull bull nonsense aside. <laughs> sorry, I'm going to be working real hard throughout this thing to not. You're curse. doing great. I curse like a sailor under normal. You're doing circumstances. amazing. Keep going. It's just it's just interesting because I it's it's honestly not the content obviously but the fact that there is this bizarre hidden little bit of code that you would only know to do if you had either been the one to put it in or data mined the the code at some point in the future because there's no indication that a button hold during the credits would create this series of events but yeah. it's it, that kind of stuff I honestly kind of miss from a lot of more modern games. Yeah. Yeah. I get why it's not done because, you know, modern games being as hideously complex as they are, but it, it was, it was an artifact of the time, the eighties and nineties games where you just have this bizarre little thing you could do at exactly the right point, at exactly the right time to yeah. get like a message from a developer or something. It's like, hi, I put this in here cause I could enjoy the right. game. Yeah. I also think it's interesting that so she is in fact a, a recurring character, and I did not realize that. Uh, yeah, because she appears in this one of the sequels. She does. Yeah, and um, I don't know though, Ryan. I completely agree. I feel like that's one of the things I'm really loving about this podcast is that I'm researching these retro games, and you really get the sense of like the artist's hand. And yeah, sometimes it's messed up, like right here. But old games have like a kind of a subversive personality and you mentioned like data mining but like that wasn't being done in the 90s like this was either printed in nintendo power or not discovered till like way later yeah you know or, so or it was on cool. game genie or some other oh i loved game genie system like that <laughs> mike did you have a game genie yes i think so it was the thing like you plugged a cartridge into the super nintendo or the genesis and then you plug the game into that cartridge and it had like this middleman that i guess would like activate cheats or something it felt mm -hmm. like magic it's so cool so uh, let's get into the joy pros of this game uh things we like about it and i would like to start off by saying that you know the game has these really large colorful characters I think Joe and Mac as a series, it's really full of humor and expression. 
And I think it has a pretty good range of environments. You have like ice caves and uh, treetop levels and, you know, a boneyard full of, you know, lightning strikes and, uh, you know, dinosaur bones in the background. Uh, I just thought that Joe and Mac, even though the old first game in the series doesn't run that well, it's a little slow. I like looking at it. What do you guys think of the aesthetic? I think it looks great. Like, yeah, it it's enjoyable. It has like I think the bosses are are actually really cool in this one. Yeah. Did you have a favorite? That's a tough question. I think I'm going to. I think just because it was it was fun to see and because I like what it is, um, and because the NES manual said the names of all of these, all the bosses. Yeah, although I, th I think the levels don't fully match up. I think there is differences in levels because some at a certain point things didn't match up, but it was enough for me to indicate to figure out that the giant plant is a triffid. Right. Which is um, the day or the, the movie reference. Yeah. Um, I think it's initially a book and oh. then it was made into bad sci-fi where in that one. So here it's a, this giant, it, this is much more like an, an Audrey two kind of situation where it's this giant plant that just kind of stays in one spot and will try right. to eat you. But uh, initially, like the Triffids, like move around and blind people, and so the whole like the movie is a whole lot of blind people stumbling about, being eaten by plants, and the that sounds horrifying. What is the movie called? Triffids. So the the book and the movie uh, are called "The Day of the Triffid." The no the original novel, because I just pulled up Wikipedia. The original <laughs> novel was released in 1951. Whoa. Um, so this is a very old story. Yeah, the uh, movie and, is, and if not the no later than the 60s, I think it may be 50s as well. 62, according to this. And then we had a series back in 2009. Huh. Yeah, and yeah. incidentally, the Wikipedia page for Triffids lists like other places that have uh, <laughs> mentioned them and does not <laughs> currently. It doesn't. So uh, anyone that is less lazy than me that would like to add that Joe and Mac has triffids. Uh, <laughs> get on that, Ryan. <laughs> so yeah, the, um, the gameplay in this one um, as the two button gameplay, it's, it's pretty simplistic, but I think the devs make a decent attempt at mixing things up from moment to moment. Uh, some levels have you fighting for the high ground as you climb to this treetop and then you fight like a flying dinosaur as the, the boss of that one. Another one has you jumping from the backs of one enemy to another to bridge bottomless pits. So like your enemies have to be your platforms, which I thought was kind of clever. And did, did either of you get to the last level of this game? No, uh, no. no, I got bodied by the mammoth. <laughs> I needed like one more continue on this sucker. I, I really wanted to beat this game. And oh, never. you got you got far, but not to the end. I would get to, I think, like level ten. Wow! And this game's hard. That's impressive. So the final level takes place inside the body of a giant dinosaur, complete with visible circulatory systems and quivering cilia. Did I say that right? I think that's how that's pronounced. Yeah. Okay, the little wigglies down there. Um, so, uh, I don't know. I, I just thought that was pretty cool. And it's always tickles me when like 
this happened kind of a lot in games. Like an enemy would swallow you and then there'd be an entire level and the scale is all off. It's like a TARDIS in there. Yeah. But I like the levels in Joe and Mac. They they were nothing mind blowing, but I did never got bored of them. What do you guys think of the levels? Yeah, it was a baseline competence on display. No doubt about that. Um, yeah. There was absolutely uh, a lot of the things that were very much hallmarks of the time when it came to level design. Like yeah. Yeah. a like like for instance, this image on the screen right now of the ice cave. It's like you need to drop perfectly there, or you're going to lose right. gonna lose some health. But and and I, I'll, I'm sure we'll, when we get to the stuff we're rather annoyed with, I'll talk about I'm it more. About the, I don't know if the controls really kept up with that kind of design. Absolutely, yeah. And and like you said, you know, sort of staples like well, the ice level, so you know the floor is going to be slippery. Yeah. You know, and then the river level. Okay, so you know you can't fall in the water; it's an instant death. Yeah, yeah. it it never felt it never felt boring to me, but it also never felt like novel or creative. Really, I did think that one thing with the level design that the specific level that is going up the tree. Yeah, I think this this may be me talking about a little much larger trope to it is there's something frustrating to me where a platformer is totally okay with you moving left or right as much as you'd like, yeah. but it's so unforgiving of, ah, the screen has moved up eight pixels. You're going to, you will now die yeah. if you fall to where there was a platform just off the screen. That is interesting. You're right. Because I guess in the programming of the games, falling would often trigger a death state, right? So if you have a screw a level that's scrolling vertically, the death state is always at the bottom of the screen because that's how it works when the game is going left to right. I Ryan, I don't know if you've listened to other episodes, but sometimes I make these grand statements about programming despite knowing nothing about programming. <laughs> but did that hold up? Did that make sense? That that, that makes sense. I, I imagine okay. that the death state I imagine that fall off bottom of you know, avatar fall off bottom of screen, kill avatar is right. a just part of the core code. Yes. And I imagine the level of effort that would be required to code the camera to be able to pan down, especially since the camera is never going to be able to move as fast as the character falls. So, oh, yeah, right. Yeah. Because think, think about every camera movement you've seen this game do, it is never as fast as a character falls. Yeah. Because, you know, now you're having to, you're having to get the game to write lines of pixels onto the screen from nothing yeah which which is gonna uh gonna be far more difficult than the simple act of changing the color of existing pixels on the screen yeah yeah so yeah that it makes i'm sure it makes sense from a programming perspective that you would need to have the bottom of the screen be instant death regardless of what might actually be below it the same way i'm sure Mario would, if they'd let you go off the left side of the screen, it probably would have killed you because they didn't know how to scroll back to the left. That back way, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, I, I feel like we're kind of getting towards the negative. Can I say one more Joy Pro I like about this game? Is that you don't ever go that far without being offered a weapon. And the, the weapons, you have this flurry of bones that sort of have this arc to them. So that felt kind of 
kind of fun, like a grenade toss, like grenades that didn't explode, I guess. <laughs> and then you have uh, boomerangs, you have uh, fireballs that you can uh, spit or throw. And I really got a kick out of the stone wheel. Did you guys ever find this one? No, no. Yes, that thing was also fun because once you got the hang of it, so the others, so the bones and the bones you just kind of throw, the boomerangs come back because otherwise they'd be sticks. <laughs> the fire would kind of do a little bit of explosion when it hit something. But what was interesting right. with the, the wheels was if you threw it and it landed on a surface, and that could be a vertical surface as well, it would just start rolling along. And so there's yeah. areas where like you could, I was just spamming that at, or to the extent that I can't, can you can only have two of them out. I think. Yeah. There's levels where I would just keep throwing the wheel off to the side and then watching it go up, a, you know, up a thing I was gonna have to jump over and just take out whatever was up there without really having to expose myself at all. And that was great. It was a cool weapon design. I would say probably the only weapon in this game that felt creative, but also great, you know, from a brand perspective, you have a game of cavemen and they're literally like, they just invented the wheel and it can hit multiple enemies and it just, you know, does a ton of damage against bosses. But uh, the boomerang is the goat though. Like that's, that's how I, oh well, actually uh, that's how I Nintendo. Wait, hold on. This doesn't work unless you guys ask me, Mike, ask me, please. Oh, were you able to beat the game with the boomerang? I Nintended. <laughs> I reward myself, Ryan, with a sound effect every time I actually beat a game. Was not um, expecting that. <laughs> yeah, but the, the boomerang, though, like, this is how I beat the game. Because you just spam these things, and it hits the enemy twice. You know, one's going, one's coming back to you. Mm -hmm. And it, there was no reason in my mind to use other weapons, except for incredibly specific circumstances like mike was just talking about they did do different levels of damage oh yeah, yeah. The fireball was by far the most powerful yeah in fact the manual does make the comment fire can be our most powerful weapon which i do enjoy that that said without like sounding like it's actually about the game that just feels like the manual decided to give some general life advice there yeah that sounds like that's the borderline manifesto <laughs> yeah <laughs> so this game is not perfect can we get into the Joy-Cons? I I have many. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to start with... Because we're talking about the weapons. Yeah. And this does have a two-player mode that we tried. Yes, you guys talk about it. You tried it right before recording. Yeah. I... And I guess part of it is... They do have a two-player mode where you're sort of against the other player, but... Called Super Two-Player. If you have a weapons power-up system in place... And two <laughs> players, I feel like you should have done something to make both players have a shot at getting the power-ups and not competing for them. Because the weapons, the weapon drops seemed well-paced for one player to kind of, as you go along, and get new things every so often. And it's incredibly frustrating with two players, because then you're just like, well, great, I'm at a boss and I have a club. This is going to go wonderful oh that's awful and that's actually one of the things i didn't like ne not necessarily about the weapons but I, what i didn't like is the absence of a weapon if you don't have a weapon this game is exponentially more difficult and less fun yeah and way less fun and at the same time 
having a projectile breaks some of the bosses and enemies over its knee you know it's like i'm just gonna sit here as far back as i can and just keep tossing and spamming and never have to do anything other than that oh look the boss is dead so i'm afraid to ask because i get a lot of grief on this podcast from all sorts of people i abuse the rewind feature to the point that like i want to start streaming and do what you did ryan i think you're pretty cool and brave to do that but like i'm just really worried that people are going to be like really you rewind after every time you get hit but pretty much i rewind after every time i get hit so i kept my weapon the whole time yeah yeah. (laughs) i actually i did appreciate that you keep your weapons even when you get hit when you get hit yeah you keep your weapons when you die it's only right. when you use a continue that you have to get them again. And I yeah. do think they're spread out enough on the level that they're relatively easy to get to get back. And certainly in this game, when you die, you just have, you know, the ghost comes up and you can kind of position yourself, which you can manipulate to your own benefit sometimes. Mm-hmm. But you can, when you come back from that, you just come back into the level. So you you're yeah. picking up you're picking up from where you were with what you had, which I think and is that I... great. The one downside is it is possible. Um, it happened to me and it happened to Ryan when we were playing, which okay. is you come back as the angel and you get stuck, and the angel cannot. It's specifically like if you died because you fell. When the angel rises back up from where you f- fell. The angel gets stuck, and so when the angel goes back to, and now you're back as a playable character again, you just fall right back into the same darn pit of death. So what Mike's referring to, for those who aren't going to play the game, and by the way, uh, all the games today are available on the base level subscription of Nintendo Switch Online. You do not need the expansion pack. So if you're listening to this, you probably have access to these games. So fire them up so you can kind of, you know, leave us a comment or a voicemail on oldswitcheroo.com. Give us your thoughts on Joe and Mac. But um, for those who haven't or aren't going to try the game, what Mike's referring to is that in Joe and Mac, there's a death mechanic where when you die, a little angel rises up from your corpse and it looks like Joe and Mac and it's, it's kind of cute. And you can fly around the stage for a few seconds, clipping through enemies in the environment. And you basically get to pick your spawn point, which I, I thought was cool. Um, but you're saying that if you, this happened in an inopportune time, there would be no ideal spawn point and you just die again. No, it's not that there's no good spot. It's that you, that bit of like, Oh, you clip through things. It's like, no, I got stuck on the platform that I fell from and couldn't get up and onto it. You got stuck on the edge of the platform. Like, cause there's the, there's the little pit that I fell into. And when I was coming back up, uh, my angel touched the corner of the platform where like, and it just got stuck there. And I'm like, I can't move up. <laughs> and I just <laughs> fell right down the pit again. <laughs> yeah, that's life sometimes. Hit detection, uh, really spotty and inconsistent in this game. Oh, I, yeah. I feel like you take damage from spikes that you swear are a few inches away from you. You fail these jumps that you expected to make. You know, some enemies, they'll damage you upon touch. And Mm -hmm. other enemies, you can, like, jump on their head and, like, ride them around for a few seconds. And there's no way to figure out which ones you can do that to or, like, which enemy state they have to be in for that to work. It felt felt like a sloppy game. Would you guys agree? Oh, yeah. Like, you can land, like, some of the Neanderthals when you're fighting them will do this leaping air attack 
Yeah. Where they just leap into the air. And I discovered while we were doing the two-player thing, if you land on them during the air attack, their head doesn't have a hitbox. You just oh. land there and stand there on their head as they are leaving. You're basically standing in their mouth. Because they, <laughs> when they leap upwards, the head tilts back so you can see their big, open, presumably screaming mouth. Uh, and so you basically land on their nose and you can like stuff your foot down their throat, but you just got to sit there. Though. No. Yeah. I guess. Well, cause they're underneath you. And why would you ever need to attack something directly underneath you? Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I mostly was just dealing with the pterodactyls that you can ride, which I, which was a thing mentioned in the manual. And then I didn't attempt to try to see if I could land on other things. Yeah. So I think for me, it didn't bother me. Sure. But speaking of leaping attack, though, I, I use that segue too much. I'll try to work on that. Did you guys do the super jump? Like you hold down the up on the joystick and you press the jump button and you like fly straight up like Sonic the Hedgehog almost? Yes. You know what I'm referring to? Yes. I yeah. spent you far too to... much time trying to get, since you get your the weapons power-ups from those eggs, and the very first level has one out of reach. I oh. spent far too much time trying to get that. Before you can I only get it in the up. Super Two player because you no. need someone else to stand on. There's a pterodactyl that show that you can move a little bit to the right, get the pterodactyl to come in. Then you have uh, to jump on the pterodactyl and then make that other jump. But it's a sort of a slanted surface, so it's a total uh, pain. Um, and then when I just discovered it's a boomerang that I can get later in the level, at least <laughs> the first time, time I'm like, was okay, you know what? I'm never doing this again. I, I will get yeah. later weapon. Like if I was a better player, this would be great to get an early weapon. I am not but I am at least a good enough player to get to later and get the weapon upgrade then. I want to know the conversation that took place in the development office when they were designing that. Cause they're like, Hey Frank, you know what? It'd be a great way to start our game. We're going to give the player an extremely <laughs> difficult platforming challenge involving two obscure mechanics that we have not tutorialized at all, just so they can get to a weapon that will give them two screens later. How's that? Sound? You're a genius boy. <laughs> Great job, actually, <laughs> I th I think you may be more right than you mean to be, and I think it's actually useful. Is it very quickly shows you that there are things that you will have to jump on top of the pterodactyls to get to, and it yeah. kind of establishes that very early on of that's a this is a mechanic that we are using, and we're using it from the start. And I suppose if you had read that makes sense if you had read the. Uh, manual, which I did not. I've played. I played all four games today and didn't read a single manual or blurb or anything. I just went yeah. in blind. And I think that's a valid way to approach it. Not back then, it wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> right. Back in the nineties, you had to read the manual. That was important. <laughs> this is what happens when we bring on a, te a tech support guy. He gets very passionate about RTFM. Oh, no, 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 like, 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 cause, cause I have like a, I have a bookcase in my apartment full of manuals from games yeah. back when you had to read the manual to understand what the heck you were doing. But I th I think in the, in this case, because you can't just reach that, I think it immediately tells the player there is a mechanic here that would allow me to reach this. But I hated the super jump mechanic because you just rock it up so fast. You can't control it. You're not invincible. So, like, I was constantly get hitting <laughs> enemies as I flew up to the screen. It felt more like God's hand was just flicking me towards the sky <laughs> than I was, like, actually jumping. 
So I really grew tired of having to use that. And especially then the game would like slow down uh, if there was too many moving characters on the screen. And like, this was an arcade port, a game ported to the Super Nintendo. I can't, I can't fault them for struggling to keep up hardware wise, but it's certainly, I don't know, made the game less fun to look at with just how it was running sort of poorly. Uh, we have a lot of games to cover today. So any other joy cons about the first Joe and Mac? Um, I think one thing I'm going to say is because the weapons do different amount of damage, but then your bosses have integer damage points that are displayed yes. that do not really match up. I think there is a frustrating thing of it's very hard to tell whether or not you're doing damage. Like I wish this was a continuous bar so that you could see, you know, each boomerang hit is maybe doing a little bit of damage. And if you did used fire, it would be larger. Or like right. Mega Man, where there's just a lot of little lines, you know, so you know, oh, yeah, I took a third of his health with this one. Clearly, I'm using the right attack. Yeah, yeah, because instead, it sometimes just feels like I don't know if I'm actually hitting him. <laughs> um, and that is a frustrating thing to be dealing with. Absolutely. And then I think the other thing I was going to mention, because it has, I guess it's, it, there's an, I don't know if I'd consider this inconsistent or random or just opaque that on each level. <laughs> Which synonym? Yeah. Yeah. I think on each level, or at least on many of the levels, you have a chance to reach a bonus level if you find a red egg and then break the red egg when there's no enemies on screen. To oh, is that what it was? Yes. To release like this pink pterodactyl that takes you to a bonus level. And mm. very annoyingly, and I don't understand exactly where they how they define this, fire and lava count as enemies, and those are not things you can kill in this game. And so there's some bits where I'm like, I don't know how I have to be in the right position to like get this. Um, because yeah. it's not like, oh, I've cleared the I've cleared this, I can go get it. And those would take you to sort of a little bonus level with one of the key bits being that you can get a key out of that. And those keys... This is Joe and Mac 1 you're talking about? Yes. Huh. You get those keys... Oh! These locked that... doors on the overworld screen. Exactly. And I once you got through that. those, then you had a couple different options. You either had... There's a couple where it's... You pretty much get dropped straight into a fight, and if you win the fight, you get a caveman girl kiss that is a... <laughs> all, I think also heals you up. There's yeah, a couple that are food falling from the sky that I think is, so long as none of them reach the ground, you can just keep collecting. And I don't know the point of getting that beyond full health. Well, points, right? This was an arcade game. I don't know if it was even giving me points. Huh. I thought it was just health. Okay. And then there's one where you have multiple eggs and you basically pick which one you can get a weapon or I think you might be able to get an extra life out of that. I had no idea there was like bonus levels in this game. I was just cruising through. I guess it's kind of hard to find the keys to get to one. Part of it, or part of that is to get to the key, you have to break open one of those red eggs and get the ter yeah. the pink pterodactyl to take you there. Yeah. But to do that, you have to have everything on. You have to have no enemies on screen. And it was very easy to break those eggs when you didn't mean to. And so you kind of had to get lucky into accidentally doing that once to go, oh, this is what I need to be doing. Yeah. So there, sort of like, a to get to those levels, I wish that there was something that distinguished on the map which 
of those bonus level things you were going to get of, is this the one that will heal me up or is this the one that will give me weapons? Because I may need one or the other. Right. Sort of there's nothing to really know. You just have to know what they all are. Sort of like, I wonder if the over, Go ahead, like sorry, on sorry. Uh, Mario 3, you had Toad's House, you had the Hammer Bros. You knew exactly yes. what you were getting into. Right. Yeah. And what I was going to say is that I wonder if the arcade release of this even had the overworld map. Because, like, you don't want players sitting on a map. Like, you know, you want there to be continuous action on the screen. Yeah, and I, I am curious about that because the structure of the NES menu was sufficiently different. Yeah. And I think like it doesn't have the selection, the switching of weapons in that. And so I'm su- suspecting the arcade was a w- whatever you picked up last. Yeah, that makes sense. And so yeah. I wouldn't expect the random weapon option because that's very useful if, you know, you have died and now you're trying to get your we- or you've, you've used to continue and you need to get your weapons back. That is really useful to have that and go and be I'm going to take my chances and I will hopefully get one of the weapons I don't have real quick. I mean, metaphorically, aren't we all just hoping for the weapons that we needed? <laughs> I had something there. I don't. Can we go to the next game, boys? Yes. Yes. All right. Let's go to our next game for today, which is Congo's Caper, released on the SNES in 1993. All right, let me list the uh, read off the description on Nintendo Switch Online. It says, A club and a little courage are all Congo needs. In this action game released in 1993 for the Super NES console, you catch up with Congo as some demon kid swoops in out of nowhere and captures Conget. As Congo, you set out to rescue her and set things right. Luckily, a super kid like Congo knows how to jump, attack, and can perform all sorts of jump attack combos. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just cracking up at the description. You can jump. You can attack. You can jump attack. (laughs) You got it all. And once Congo collects the three magic rubies, he turns into Super Congo. As Super Congo, he can jump even higher and hover by jumping repeatedly in midair. Oh, guys, Congo's caper. What do you think? I really should have read these manuals. Yeah, I description really should have just, read these manuals. That description just say some demon kid, like we're not going to, like it doesn't get a name or anything. That just feels like filler. Right. It's pretty weird. It's like, oh yeah, some demon kid. We don't even know who it is, even though it's our character. Also, it's weird to introduce metaphysics into a, because like, like, Caveman games, not terribly scientific. You know, dinosaurs, cavemen, Neanderthals, all living together and beating the crap out of each other um but uh it but still the inclusion of a demon feels weird (laughs) well so i forgot to mention joe and mac if you guys can see my screenshot here the final level that takes place inside the dinosaur for some reason the last boss is a devil and he can summon clones of himself and he can hypnotize you and there's like this giant beating heart of the dinosaur that's like next to you it's weird it, i agree ryan it's like this weird pivot into a different genre kind of yeah i didn't realize this was a crossover with super ghouls and ghosts 
It looks a lot like um, the uh, what's his name, Firebrand or Red Arima or whatever. Yeah, I can't. Um, I cannot remember his name. I was trying to look it up, and I cannot remember for the life of yeah, me. Yeah, he was an MVC three. I remember. Well, so uh, first impressions are often from the box art. So here is the Japanese cover. This is Caveman Ninja Two Rookie's Adventure. Um, it's a uh, this game in. Japan, and I guess in here too, but it was more prominently discussed in Japan. It has this really convoluted tale. R Ryan, you said that you thought that the story of Congo's Caper was just like, oh, get your girlfriend, right? Yeah, well, again, I didn't read the manual, so I was going <laughs> off of the half-second blurb at the beginning. Um, actually, really quick, so what year did you say this was released? This was released in America in 1993. Uh, that's probably the year before in japan i would guess i was gonna say someone really liked dragon ball yeah <laughs> so ryan's referring to the japanese cover here let me describe it for people not on youtube we got the main protagonist here it's kind of sliding towards the viewer on a rainbow which never happens in the game by the way i never saw a rainbow or at least never one i could stand on uh and then you got dinosaurs on the left and the right and i thought it was interesting that this one has like the gems the little collectibles kind of prominently displayed but caveman ninja 2 rookies adventure or as it came to be in america congo's caper it's a very convoluted tale involving a restless dino god named gao or i, I would guess gao g-a-o forcing conflict on wookie land mike wait, wait, wookie wait. land what Wookie Land. You heard this me. Post Star Wars. One E. In interestingly, in the NES menu for uh, NES manual for Joe Damn. and Mac, it does list one of the levels as best just being called Jurassic Park. <laughs> Bronto Bronto Burgers, Jurassic Park. They were just begging to get sued. Seriously, yes, there, there's a whole lot of and the Triffids <laughs> thing, really. So it's interesting yeah. to see that continue here. Of just how much they're just taking things like that's a good name we're gonna use it well so it's funny because <laughs> wookie though i mean i feel like only super fans know this but wookie is spelled w-o-w-o-o-k-i-e-e -E in star wars right mike there's two e's at the end correct mm. yeah so this one only one e but so gal forces conflict on wookie land by sending troops to terrorize the disobedient monkey tribe spelled with no e's <laughs> but the maru so just <laughs> fell right into that one good job maru the god of peace and love sends down a powerful red gem from heaven to speed up rookie's evolution and turn him into the caveman ninja um so that's i mean it's it's a it's a lot more than ryan got as far as like the opening cutscene of this game <laughs> go back to that maru bit uh, Maru, the god of peace and love, sending down a powerful red gem to speed up Rookie's evolution. How, how's Maru spelt on that, just out of curiosity? Um, M-A-R-U. Okay, that is a Maori war god. Like, I thought that name oh. sounded familiar. <laughs> that is an interesting... Uh... There's a lot more going on in these games than people might realize. Yeah. There's At more going on. I'm not really sure. Yeah, if it's good or not. Yeah. And I, well, I mean, even to the point of, I don't know if it's weird foreshadowing that this like rainbow bridge thing is not in this game, but it is in this franchise. Uh, right. Are you talking about the next one? Yes, that'll come up later. Okay. So it's odd. Back on this co cover, 
does it look like one of the uh, cavemen dudes over there on the left has hit himself in the back of his own head? Yeah, kind of. The guy in the sort of top right. Yeah. It's funny. I also kind of really want that pterodactyl as just like a a reaction gif. <laughs> yeah, very Avatar-esque. It just has this look of, I can't believe you've done this to me. But the North American box art, like, okay. It, not only does it change the title, um, Caveman Ninja 2 Rookie's Adventure, I, you know, I wonder if this was different enough from Joe and Mac that they didn't want to kind of throw people off. It, it, gameplay feels kind of different. It feels more like a traditional 2D platformer than like an arcade game, in my opinion. But once again, this does not look like the protagonist of the game. This looks like another generic caveman. In a, I mean, it kind of looks like the last caveman we're going to discuss today. Wouldn't you agree? It looks more like uh, prehistoric man, Sam, or whatever his name is. Yeah, there's certainly also that like the enemy, the ca- the sort of the caveman-y enemies here look closer to like tribbles with bats. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what they look like, and I'm not, I may be literally the only person that is seeing this. I'm a huge D&D guy. Okay. And there is an enemy in Dungeons and Dragons called a Kored, K-O-R-R-E-D, uh, that looks exactly like that. They are basically huh. like, for, for, for the folks just watching, it looks like it's arms and legs coming off of a big round face head body. Are they bearded? Yes, they're very heavily bearded. Um, they have goat legs in D anD D, but you get, but it's almost identical in look. Yeah, they're uh, basically actually. I looked. I looked. Them, basically, they give off a similar vibe to they. And I guess the drawings here both are also are like a Captain Caveman vibe, except these things feel like they have no body. They feel like heads. Is, is Captain Caveman a, a thing? I'm not aware of. Okay, so. Uh, Hanna-Barbera cartoon. Yeah, we're back to Hanna-Barbera. This is great. Oh, I've never um, heard of this one. Yeah, so basically... Oh, back... is it a Flintstones character? No. Oh. So back when you have Scooby-Doo start in the sixth, in the in 1969, where you have, hey, we have a group of humans. That's going to be a bad choice in a moment. A group of humans, <laughs> and then like some wacky other character. And so in, with Scooby-Doo, it is Scooby-Doo. Over oh, the next decade, you would have um, Speed Bucky, which was a talking car. Sure. You have Jabberjaw, which is a tar- talking shark. The Funky Phantom is, I guess a talking ghost isn't notable as such. The ghost <laughs> yeah. is really the selling point. And then you had <laughs> Captain Caveman and the Teen Angels. The Teen Angels? Yeah. Like, he, it, it's it's so it's Captain Caveman, who's just this very hairy character that mostly just yells Captain Caveman um, to my record. Ryan, is he making this up? <laughs> no, no. He's, no. This is this is absolutely a character. His, his design was almost pill-shaped where they textured the entirety of... So his body was basically sort of this oblong pill shape and they textured it all as hair. So it was basically like a combination of head hair, beard hair, and body hair. Oh. This sort of orbish looking body that the arms and legs kind of came out of. And then like a nose and a mouth and eyes, but like no. And a cape. I think he had a cape too. Yeah. (laughs) Did he ever appear on Wacky Races? 
Probably. I would not I, be surprised. He, I feel like he also seen... shows up voiced by Tracy Morgan in Scoob. Oh, I want to see that. Is that good? Don't. Oh. <laughs> yeah, Mike's the biggest <laughs> Scooby Doo fan I know. In in that, they basically it's they have a Captain Caveman appearance, but he's re. I think I think as I recall, it's he's really a just a hairy guy from like New Jersey. But uh, is surrounded by like a whole bunch of actual cavemen. I it, <laughs> it was this thing where it's like if you're gonna because Scoob was basically an attempt to create the Hanna Barbera cinematic universe, and it was just a large misstep. Yeah. They already had the Hanna Barbera extended universe. It was called Harvey Birdman, Attorney at Law. Oh God, Ryan! Did we I just become best friends? Not expected. Oh my gosh, Harvey Birdman is like Rick and Morty before Rick and Morty was a thing. Like, oh my God, I've totally, I'm so happy you reminded me that show exists and I have all the episodes on DVD. <laughs> Captain Caveman is in one of the episodes. That must be where I know him from. He handles like he's his client. I think that's yeah. it. I think, he, I think he's, I think he's in, there, there's a Scooby-Doo episode from something relatively recent where Long story short, spoiler for a Scooby-Doo episode that I can't remember what it's out of. Might have been Mystery Incorporated because it feels like a thing they would have done. Basically, the whole thing turns out to be a Scooby-Doo fever dream. (laughs) Scooby-Doo fever dream is a great name for a band. Where the gist of it is like to solve a mystery and to to kind of deal with like Scooby's own like questions of if he's a part of the team versus like a mascot of the team. It's basically all the team the all the mystery solving group team mascots are like the only ones that haven't been captured and have to save everybody else. And I want to say I think Captain Caveman may have made it in there. I know Jabber Jabberjaw was in there and Funky Phantom was. I oh my god! So so it's like the villain well. meeting from Wreck It Ralph. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Yeah, it's this it's this weird crossover thing which they'd done before. Like I know about Speed Buggy from the crossover with between Speed Buggy and. Scooby-Doo. So I'd, I'd like to take a second to address our listener. And yeah, I said listener. <laughs> we planned on doing four of these caveman episode, uh, games in one episode because we were like, we're not going to have much to say. But these guys are just too fun. I, I, we just keep, I mean, I guess Captain Caveman is technically not off topic, but we should get on to uh, Congress Caper, shall we? Yes, 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 yeah. All right. So <laughs> let me give you some trivia. Um, once again, developed by Data East, the uh, canonical link to Joe and Mac was removed for the North American release, but there are still a few notable connections. There is the battle with the T-Rex that plays more or less identically to the uh, first boss of Joe and Mac. There is the flight uh, fight with a flying demon inside the stomach of the T-Rex. That happens again. And did you guys find this little Easter egg? Can you see it on my screen? Oh, neat. Ah. Yeah. It's a, it's a Joe and uh, Joe statue from Joe and Mac. It is this little area uh, that spawns giant uh, jewels. If you strike the statue and it's the little victory pose that Joe would do at the end of a level. So I thought that was cute. Um, other interesting things here, the pink, the pink pterodactyls again as well, the pink pterodactyls, right? They will carry you to a bonus stage. If I guess in the first game, you had to hatch them in this game, you have to rescue them. They're being attacked by, uh, sometimes you just had to find them. They're just off screen. Yeah. Uh, Emmy Shimizu, uh, was one of the lead composers of the game and she was also the sound designer and she is the voice that was used for the, uh, and, 
and all the little yips and yeps and stuff. So I thought that was kind of neat because, you know, you don't really have a lot of voice recordings in the Super Nintendo era. So I thought that was kind of cool that, you know, her voice is sort of living on. And uh, when Congo transitions from one stage to the next, Mike, you ready for this? Oh, I'm so excited. Listen to this, Mike. Oh, God. I didn't notice that. Ring a bell, Mike? I wouldn't call that a bell, but yeah. That is the, is it the Minsky pickup? Yes. Oh my gosh, Ryan, I'm a good teacher. This was a <laughs> weird, obscure connection in the uh, Kirby NES game where th- that note progression like originally was in a uh, used in a burlesque house. <laughs> and it became just sort of synonymous with wackiness and well, uh, I, silliness. I mean, I guess it does make kind of sense to use music from a burlesque house in a Kirby game. Both involve a lot of sucking. Oh my God. Whoa. Okay. (laughs) You guys, my students are starting to ask about the podcast and I've decided not to tell them until they're no longer my student. And that is absolutely the right call. Oh, geez. Can't wait to see if we get a spike of listens in uh, Uh, June. uh, (laughs) Yeah. I'm going to talk about what uh, I like cut, about cut this part, game. Cut that part out. Cut that nope, part nope, out. Nope, no, it's too late. Um, <laughs> uh, I thought this Congo's caper, it, it felt more creative and imaginative than Joe and Mac. Uh, the worlds have a theme that centers around the area boss. Ryan mentioned Mega Man earlier, and I think Mega Man, this game reminded me of Mega Man. There is this pirate world, and it has these swimming sections where the you're swimming, and then the water level is raising and lowering and so it is affecting how much access uh, to the screen that you have. And there's little landmines to avoid. And on top of that, there's like lightning striking from above. So I love it when a game throws a lot of different obstacles at you in kind of a fun combination I hadn't seen before. So I thought that was pretty cool. The uh, the horror land, it has these cavemen ghosts that attack you. This is the and... ghost and ghouls stage. Oh my, what? The uh, the plagiarism continues? Mm-hmm. That ghosts is how the manual calls it. Stage. And to be clear, Ghouls and Ghosts is a game we're going to get to in this podcast. <laughs> Jeez. I wonder if people knew about this and they were like saltier, if they were like, hey, that's cool. So, but yeah, these cavemen ghosts, they can only be defeated by activating these massive light bulbs to, you know, sort of ward off the ghosts. And then there was this volcano land and you had to run across these crazily tilting platforms. The whole level is melting into pools of lava, and even the enemies are falling in and dying. And it just felt really apocalyptic in kind of a cool way. Did you guys get to any of these levels? Because um, you were not using rewinding like I am, so I'm not sure how far you got. I made it to stage select, because um, you had to play like four <laughs> levels before you get to that select which of these four stages you would like to do, which are the uh, water speeding ghosts and ghouls and modern technology stages yeah i did not get that far i got to the end of what i think is the first stage right after the volcano blows up and i went into the t-rex and or am i thinking i might be thinking the different was that with this one no no that happened early on in this game yeah uh no no i'm thinking of the volcanic no i'm sorry i'm thinking of the volcano level from a different game but but yeah, you get to the end of the first stage, you beat the ridiculously easy T-Rex boss, um, and then you go inside and you face a, yeah, no, this, I don't even know why he's there. You don't have to hit the boss. I beat the yeah. boss just by killing the cavemen he spit out. That's all I did. 
That's found a spot yeah. right at the front of that one raised platform. I stood there and I swung my club back, you know, forward over and over again. And all it did was just, it killed all the cavemen. I farmed one ups and I beat the boss somehow. Well, it's, it's because the cavemen, when you kill them, go off and will hit, do damage to what they hit in the past. Yeah. I thought that, I, I considered that, yeah. It's it's caveman baseball. Yeah, I couldn't I was find it at a spot where I would kill the first one, which would kill the second one, which would hit the boss. Ah, okay. Kind of a chain reaction sort of thing. That's pretty cool. Yep. Yeah, but I did not get past the demon kid in the in the gut. I, I okay. was yeah, I I failed miserably. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's if you're not using the rewind and or abusing the rewind like I do, you know, I, you don't you're probably not going to get very far in this game. But you know, so I said it's centered around different bosses. You know, there's some cool boss fights. So there's a Dracula like caveman, and he splits into this swarm of bats, and you have to hit each individual bat in order to make the boss materialize. And it's like, okay, this is kind of a cool uh, mechanic. Mike, you said there was a uh, technology-themed level. What was the wording? Modern technology. Yeah, so in that level, the boss is a caveman who has built a robot dinosaur. And I just find it really charming how these games, it's like, yeah, we're back in you know the, the caveman days, but there's robots. <laughs> like, oh, roboticization. Um, and then the final boss is pretty epic. It's this dragon that like hulks out halfway through the fight to become a lot more physically imposing. So it just, it felt like the levels were more interesting than the Joe and Mac ones. Cause like Ryan said, the Joe and Mac levels just felt like sort of cookie cutter ice stage, lava stage, tree stage. This felt like it had a bit more thought and creativity put into it. Did, would you guys agree? Or you kind of still underwhelmed? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, Joe and Mac very much followed the the Super Mario Brothers, you know, Plains World, Ice World, you know, Fire World, Water World, Desert World, you know, progression. In its defense, um, Water World is a very cool stunt show. Yes. <laughs> Mike will not let us stay on topic. Keep going, Ryan. The fact, no, the fact that the fact that the Water World stunt show exists at all. Uh, yeah, to this day, it tells been, you a lot. Yeah, it tells you exactly how awesome that thing is. Um, but yeah, this one, this one definitely, I mean, obviously I didn't see much of it because I only got to the, to the, I don't even know if you could call the inside part of the T-Rex a stage because it's so short, but I didn't get very far in the game. So I didn't get to see all of these. Like I'm, I'm looking at this now going this, the, the, the clips that you're putting up and going, wow, I really wish I'd gotten to play these more interesting stages. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's and that's part of why I, you know, abuse the rewind is that I, I kind of feel this obligation. If I'm going to talk about the quality of a game, like, well, what if the later levels and moments? I mean, look at this screenshot. Like, this is such a cool screenshot mm-hmm. of the the fire and the 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 expressions and just you kind of just get an instant sense of panic. I think when you're looking at yeah. it. I also liked how this game visually communicated, you know, damage. You would devolve back into your cute little monkey form. And it kind of reminded me of Ghouls and Ghosts when you would get hit and you would lose your armor. Mm-hmm. And I'm always a big fan of that when you're taking damage and like you can visually see, you know, that you are in peril. And the um, Super Congo would be the opposite of that. So when you turn into a monkey upon near death, you have to find those red gems to turn back into your human form. But if you get three of those gems without needing them, or in other words, three extra red gems, you become all, you know, Ryan, you said Dragon Ball Z, you kind of become Super Saiyan. You, oh, yeah, no, this is clearly Super color. <laughs> No question. 
you're you're faster your your club does more damage and if you mash the jump button you will float down um and give you a lot more control of your you know jump trajectory and you could skip like entire sections of levels with that technique but you know i think you guys would probably say that's a plus because i don't think you guys like this game that much when we get to the joy cons i will actually i actually have a thought about that exact system that i will bring up so i'm ready for that mike any joy pros I definitely do not have Joy, joy Pros. Oh, oh. all right, Ryan, go. Joy-Con. <laughs> what, what don't you like about Congo's Caper? So, interestingly, and I'm going to use a more recent game as a reference point for this. So, in Dark Souls, or not Dark Souls, in Demon's Souls, Great game. if you die, the game drops you to half health until you can reclaim your humanity. Yes. The only way you can reclaim humanity is... I remember that. Yeah. Now is what you'll note that, and you'll note if you go to Dark Souls or literally any other FromSoft game after that, they changed it, where you just yeah, have they, to get back to where you died to get yes. all of your health back. And the reason for that is, and this is the reason I ran into this in Congo's Caper, was great. Full health is this Super Saiyan form, right? Because yeah. you you now have three hits before you become a monkey instead of one. But if you die, you go back to only having one health. Mm -hmm. And so if you get, if you go Super Saiyan and get to a boss, you get one shot to beat that boss as a Super Saiyan. And if you fail, you get to spend every other attempt as a normal human, normal monkey boy. I'm so proud of you for the Demon Souls connection. I never would have added that up, but you're right. It's a very similar system. Yeah. And it's and it's just it's it it is punishing for not being it is punishing success with uh, making it needlessly harder. Like if you yeah. came back, if you were like if you hit a checkpoint because all the checkpoints in the game are invisible. If you hit one of those invisible <laughs> checkpoints as a Super Saiyan, you should come back as that Super Saiyan. Yeah, especially when the checkpoint is one screen away from a boss fight. <laughs> It's so funny, though. I can just sense in how you're talking, like, these games were not nearly as fun if you were playing them the way they did back in the 90s and, like, just taking damage and getting frustrated and dying. I had a decent time with Congo's Caper, but again, you know, I wouldn't lose the Super Saiyan state. I would just, oh, well, I know the enemy's there now. I'll rewind and do that better. So it sort of, like, feels like speed running without all the work because you can just, (laughs) you know... Um, uh, but that's but that's kind of fun to play games that way, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did watch yeah. a speed run of this, and one of the key oh, things that basically, yeah, because it was like I would like to know what the heck else was going on with this. Okay. And one of the big things was effectively being in this mode, and it's like, yeah, you pretty much have to be in this because if you lose this, it's very difficult to get going again. Yep. Start the speed run over. So you didn't beat this game. I did not beat this game. Did you beat this game? Oh, I intended, Mike. <laughs> you know I did. Um, but back to the Joy-Cons, though. Uh, I, I just, the nondescript gray slab I'm showing you here, I feel like Joe and Mac, even though, you know, the game didn't look as good, it felt more consistently themed. I don't like how this game, it's like, oh, yeah, yellow gems floating, weird little gray slab platforms. We can't even be bothered to make these look like a cloud. It's just like jump from one gray slab to the other. It's like, it feels like almost like a texture is missing. I would also uh, say with the power-up system is, I think yeah. the frustration is, so also if you are picking up those red gems, 
So you're, you were human and trying to work your way up. If you get hit, you lose, and you had two of them, you lose both. So it resets you down fairly hard. Yeah. Uh, unnecessarily punishing. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And on top of that, the red eggs and the red gems have almost identical sprites. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah. So you'll jump thinking, I'll grab this gem in midair and slam into it because the eggs have collision. <laughs> Uh, the gems don't. Oh man! So lots of little quality of life things that make. Yeah, you guys it's miserable. like the only thing that I got as far as I did was because this gets you into bonus levels that you would then get a bunch of lives out of. So there is. You guys will appreciate this because I suffered a bit like you guys had to. There's a part in later in this game. It's a volcano level, and there's a Raiders of the Lost Ark boulder chase. Right, you're running from this giant boulder. And it killed me every time. And I would rewind it and I would get the jumps faster and it killed me every time. And I was like, why is this literally impossible? Oh my gosh, is there a run button? And I went, <laughs> to the, I went to the options and I'm showing you guys a picture of the options. Ain't no run button listed. Mm -hmm. But sure enough, if you hold down the trigger button, Congo will run. Yep. Which led me to go back to Joe and Mac and discover that that was also a thing in that game. There was a hidden run button that made Joe and Mac a lot easier and made Congo's caper beatable. Mike, you know, I don't know if you have, uh, sometimes you have the manuals kind of on your computer ready to go. Is that the case with Congo's caper here? I do. Um, I am. Does checking... it mention running? Let's see if we mention running. Because <laughs> you need it to beat the game. Yes, it does. Okay. Well, they should have told me. Because <laughs> I'm bitter about it. Yeah. Um, other Joy-Cons for Congo's Caper before we head on to Caveman game number three? I think there, there's too much that hit. You're far too vulnerable for the number of things that hit you for this to really just work for me. Like, it's the amount of time I spent sort of powered up was so little because so many things would do damage in frustrating ways. And and no weapons. You just have your club. And the hitbox was not good on the club. Yeah, but it's like, you know, and considering, you know, this was in Japan, a sequel to Caveman Ninja, where you had boomerangs and you had giant wheels and everything. Ah, just give them a club and let them go Super Saiyan. Ah, weird yeah. choice. Weird <laughs> choice. Maybe yeah. why they decided to change the name. Probably. Uh, so... so. Whoa, Mike, did you hear that? Yeah, it sounds like it's going to T-Rex the whole studio. I think we got to wrap this up for today, guys. Well, uh, thanks, Ryan, for joining us. You can catch his content at YouTube. A War Boss 5 is the channel where he posts his Twitch VODs and all his other content. And we are going to wrap this one up and continue it next time. So don't forget to join the fun at theoldswitcheroo.com. You can join our Discord. You can leave an old-timey voicemail. We zeet, we gram, we tube, we talk. You can catch all our social media links there. And join us next time for part two of our dino-sized caveman episode we're going to continue clubbing through joe and mac 2 lost in the tropics and prehistoric man and then declare all four games as nintendos or nintendon'ts this has been the old switcheroo where we've been talking gaming retro with mike and jamo i've been mike and i've been jamo we'll see you soon game on everyone
Wait, can Book. you switch weapons? Yes, you can. Yeah. Don't you wish you knew that? <laughs> How? Uh, select. select. Yeah, or I guess on the Switch, that'd be like the minus button. I keep forgetting select is a button. Yeah, you're not alone. <laughs> We're going to talk about that. <laughs> the hidden controls of these games. <laughs> Whoa, Mike, you heard that, right? Yeah, it's going to T-Rex the whole... St- uh, dang it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's gold. We got to go for that. Okay, 